bushfires that almost burned 50 million acres of land in Australia. A pandemic breaks out. Millions get sick. The whole world is on lockdown. All sports are canceled for the first time in the history of the world, from our children's leagues to the pros. And if you go back all the way to January, Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others, they pass away from a helicopter crash. Now, I know many people loved Kobe, and still, there were many who didn't because of his moral and character issues. But regardless, there's no denying his talent and the Mamba mentality that he passed down to so many players. And in case you're not familiar with Kobe Bryant or basketball, you see, the thing that made Kobe Bryant different from most players, it wasn't just his talent or his athleticism. Almost everyone in the NBA has freakish athleticism, otherwise they wouldn't be there. No, the real difference was what Kobe liked to call having a Mamba mentality. That is, you can't just be satisfied with your game or the physical talent that you have, but you need a strong mental game to work harder, to keep practicing, and to get better and better. And the reason I share this is when it comes to the game of the Christian life, to live faithfully unto God, especially in tough situations. It takes more than just physical strength. It takes more than just being spiritually gifted. But what we need is a gospel mentality. And if we look at our passage carefully, there's at least three things we need in terms of having a gospel mentality. The first thing we need is to always remember God the second thing is we need to learn to forget about our past. And lastly, we need to keep focusing on Jesus. And so first, to learn about having a gospel mentality, we need to always remember God. Now to give you some context to our passage, remember last week when Pastor Chris preached, Joseph was sent to prison unjustly because Potiphar's wife claimed that Joseph was trying to rape her. But it's in prison where he meets the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker who are also doing some time. And after interpreting the cupbearer's dream, Joseph tells him, when all things go well with you, remember me and mention me to the Pharaoh so I can get out of here too. But according to the beginning of our chapter, two years passes by and the cupbearer completely forgets about Joseph in prison. And now in the beginning of our chapter, the Pharaoh has a dream where seven plump cows come out of the Nile, followed by seven really skinny and gaunt looking cows. But the skinny ones, they creep up on the big ones and they eat them all up. And it must have freaked out the Pharaoh so much that he got startled and he woke up. But he goes back to bed and he has a second dream. 
where there's seven healthy heads of grain on one stalk. And right next to it grew seven more heads of grain. But they were thin looking, scorched looking. And the thin ones end up swallowing up the healthy ones. And again, the Pharaoh wakes up all startled, cold sweats, like trying to figure out what does that mean? And he runs around his kingdom asking everyone, anyone, can you interpret these dreams? And when no one can do it, the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph and says, wait a minute. When I was doing some time, when I was on the inside, there was this one guy that was able to interpret these crazy dreams. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph and says, hey, I heard you can interpret dreams. And so Joseph responds by saying, no, no, not me, but God. And he proceeded to tell Pharaoh that both of his dreams, they tell the same story. That after seven great and prosperous years, the economy is going to tank and seven really bad years are going to come. And so what you should really do, Pharaoh, is you should hire a good and trustworthy manager who will save a lot during the good times. Because when the rainy day comes, then you'll have something in the reserve. Which brings us to where we started reading in our text today. Because Joseph's suggestion to hire a manager seemed like a good one. Even though Joseph's only 30, it tells us, right? Verses 38 and 39 tells us that Pharaoh says, hey, how about you? Because it seems like you're really gifted and God has filled you with discernment and wisdom. And actually, Joseph was made more than just the manager. He was the number two guy all this power and all this authority over everything except obviously Pharaoh himself. Now, if you've been following along with us in Joseph's life, it's crazy how volatile his life has been. <laughs> Going from Jacob's favorite son to being jumped and sold by his brothers into a different country. Going from Potiphar's right-hand man to being sent to prison for attempted rape. And then sitting in a dungeon year after year, Joseph is now the number two man in the world, the second richest and most powerful man walking on earth. Can you imagine living a life like this? The emotional roller coaster Joseph was on. How is he able to do it? How was Joseph able to be cool as a cucumber when things seemed down and out? And yet, when Joseph rose to the top, how was he not super proud and super arrogant? And although Pharaoh thought, it's because Joseph is the man. Just like many of us thought Kobe was the man with his gifts and his talents. The truth is, yes, both of them were amazingly gifted. But for both guys, it came down to their mentality. You see, I'm pretty sure if most of us were in Joseph's situation, 
we would have either cracked from all the pressure or we would have forgotten about God once we made it to the top. Just like the cupbearer, he forgot once he got out of prison and he made it back into the sweet graces of the Pharaoh. But not Joseph. He had a gospel mentality by always remembering God. Joseph remembered God when he was at the lowest point of his life, when he was in prison and the cupbearer asked him to interpret his dreams. What did he say? Do not interpretations belong to God? And Joseph remembered God when he was at the highest point of his life too. When Pharaoh called him because he heard of Joseph's great reputation, Joseph said, Nuh-uh, not me, but God. And this is important for us to see. Because I don't know about you, but I'm convinced a big reason we stress and panic, especially during times of crisis, is because we simply take our eyes off of God. We forget about Him. And functionally, we live and operate as atheists do. And that's why if you look throughout the Bible, Scripture is always and constantly telling us, remember God, remember God. And to illustrate it, just like when Moses was crossing through the Red Sea and God split the Red Sea apart, right? For Joshua, if you remember him, when he was crossing the Jordan River, the same thing happened. God parted it. He's able to lead the 12 tribes across the river. And once they cross, God tells each tribe, take one stone and pile it up. And when I was younger, I thought, you know what? What kind of weird witchcraft is this that, that the Bible is calling for here? But if you read further in Joshua 4, it tells us that this may be a sign among you when your children ask you in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial, something to jog our memories, to help us remember and not forget God's faithfulness. And so do you see, friends, to live faithfully unto God? Scripture never tells us we need to be the strongest or the most gifted Christian. But we do need to be one. That always remembers our father. Second. To learn about having a gospel mentality. We need to be able to forget about our past. Going back to Kobe Bryant. As I mentioned earlier. There are some people who loved him. And they still love him. But there are people who hated him too. And the incident that probably most disappointed fans was back in 2003 when the hotel employee accused Kobe of sexual assault. And although we'll never know if Kobe was innocent or not because charges were dropped after settling for millions outside of court, one thing we do know for sure is 
he was guilty of committing adultery against his wife. Now, if we put ourselves in Vanessa Bryant's shoes, you're married to a professional athlete who travels from city to city. And although obviously not every athlete cheats on his wife, many are known to do so. Second, you never signed a prenuptial agreement when getting married. And Kobe's net worth is $600 million. And third, Kobe just shamed you publicly and you feel betrayed personally from him. What would you do in her situation? Would you leave him? Or would you forgive him and remain with him? Although I would think most of us would probably leave Kobe. At a famous news conference where, where Vanessa is seen holding Kobe's hand, she said, I know that my husband has made a mistake, the mistake of adultery. He and I will have to deal with that within our marriage, and we will do so. And because I know him to be innocent, I will stand by him, and we will face this together. I will give him all the strength and support he needs to face these false accusations. I will not let him face these accusations alone. And I share this because what an amazing difference between what Kobe experienced and what Tiger Woods experienced, another big-time athlete who cheated on his wife. Tiger's wife refused to forgive and forget. And so Tiger's career dropped off for many years. And although he made somewhat of a comeback, many avid golfers will tell you he hasn't been the same. But with Vanessa Bryant forgiving Kobe and Kobe able to put his past behind him, one can argue that afterwards Kobe played even better because he brought his team to a championship the very next year. He won the scoring title for multiple years afterwards. He had this 81-point game, the most anyone has ever scored besides Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. And they won it all consecutively in 2009 and 2010, where Kobe was named Finals MVP both years. Friends, this is the power of forgiveness. This is the power of having a gospel mentality. Because we are forgiven by God. And if we can only forget about our past, we can live freely and victoriously today. And we know this because if you look at our text, many people are familiar with the part of the passage where Joseph goes from being in prison to the right-hand man of the Pharaoh. But what most people forget about is in verse 45, the Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name, Zephineph Penia, which means God speaks and lives. And also Pharaoh gives Joseph a wife, Aseneth, who bears him two sons. And so if you jump down to verse 50 and 52, Joseph names the first son Manasseh, which means God made me forget all my hardships. Then names his second son Ephraim, 
which means God has made me fruitful. Or it really means doubly fruitful. And this is amazing because again, if you think back on Joseph's life, if anyone, he has every right to be a bitter person, doesn't he? His brothers betray him. Family, the church, we're supposed to protect each other. We're supposed to stick up for each other. Not stab one another in the back. His boss, and the family, that he was trying to be so faithful. They send them to jail. For the complete opposite. He was trying to be loyal to his boss and not sleep with his boss's wife. And yet he gets sent to jail for being an unfaithful worker. And when he's in prison and he helps out this cupbearer with his dreams. Once he got out, he completely abandons Joseph and forgets about him for years and lets him rot in jail. But amazingly, through it all, Joseph is still able to live faithfully to God. How is that possible? And it's because Joseph had a gospel mentality, which not only means remembering God, but Manasseh, forgetting all of his hardships in order to Ephraim to live freely and doubly better today. And this is important for us to see because when we are really hurt by people, by situations, and various disappointments in life, it's hard to let things go, isn't it? And sadly, it changes our lives in a bad way. And many times our past becomes a roadblock to living faithfully to God, does it not? Thus, brothers and sisters, the thing we need to see in our chapter is, just as the Bible tells us God made Joseph forget all his hardships, when the Bible says this, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean that Joseph literally forgot everything and everyone in his life. But what it really means is that God healed his wounds. He let the past be the past. And that's what enabled him to go on and to live for God. And so for us to have a gospel mentality, for us to forget our past and to live faithfully today, we need to let God heal our wounds. Because if I can share and slightly modify a quote by Min Chung, a pastor out in Chicago. He posted this on Facebook. We all have wounds from the past, and some of us have also been the cause of others' wounds as well. Thus, we need to let our wounds be healed and let them become scars. Because once a wound becomes a scar, though it can bring memories of past wounds, right? meaning that we won't literally forget about the past. It no longer has power to give us present pain. Instead, scars can become proof of healing. And so let your wounds become scars, and it will bring a different breed of memories, not of pain, but of joy to remind us of the divine healer 
in his redeeming history. Lastly, to learn about having a gospel mentality, we need to really focus in on Jesus. And this is where the analogy of the Mamba mentality and the gospel mentality falls apart. Because it's true. It's not about our physicality, our talents, our, or our obedience that makes us great. But like Joseph, it's about mentally remembering God through the good times and the bad. And it's true. Again, it's not about our physicality. It's not about our capability. But like Kobe and Joseph, it's about forgetting our past that lets us live victoriously today. But a major thing that's different from Kobe's story and Joseph's story is that Kobe's mentality tells you to look inside and push yourself to be stronger and to be better. But the gospel mentality tells us to look outside of us and to a savior. You see, if you look at the very end of our text, although Joseph warned everyone saying, seven really bad years are coming, so you better save a little bit each year. Still, there are many who didn't listen. And because there are so many who are desperate, they went to Pharaoh and they begged Pharaoh for help. And you know how Pharaoh responded? He didn't say, aha, I told you so. And he didn't say, all right, all right, come to me, I'll help you. No, instead, Pharaoh said, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do. Friends, this is what we really need to take away from the Bible today. Because as much as our passage is telling us about Joseph and his story, our text is really trying to point us to Jesus and the gospel message. You see, as wonderful of a savior Joseph was for the Egyptians, Jesus is our greater Joseph. Because even though Joseph rose from a dungeon to the right hand of Pharaoh, Jesus rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of God. Even though Joseph was given authority over all of Egypt, Joseph or Jesus was given authority over heaven and earth. And even though Joseph would ride in Pharaoh's second chariot, the Bible tells us Jesus will return riding on clouds. And even though every knee in Egypt would bow to Joseph, the Bible tells us every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus is Lord. But you know the one reason, the main reason, why Jesus is the greater Joseph? Because as much as Joseph was able to save people physically from starvation by providing physical bread that didn't cost him a dime. Jesus is able to save us from spiritual, eternal death, spiritual and eternal starvation by providing the bread of life. But it would cost Jesus his life. And that's why to have a gospel mentality 
we need to remember God. But because of the cross, God will always remember us. And that's why to have a gospel mentality, we need to forget about our past. Because any sin confessed in Jesus, God prom promises, I will remember your sins no more. And that's why to have a gospel mentality, when we are worrying about anything, whether it has to do with food, a recession, famine, a pandemic, we need to go to Jesus. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you know, if you uh, go all the way back to the beginning of our text, one commentator notes, you know, if the cupbearer remembered Joseph sooner, he might have been tempted to think, good job, Joseph. Good plan. Good idea of telling the cupbearer to remember you so you can get your way out. But this story is not about man or man's gratitude. It's a story of God's providence. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we need a gospel mentality. Where in all situations, we need to remember God. We need to look for Jesus. Whether it's in stories about Joseph, or if we're walking outside, and we're looking towards heaven and the skies that proclaim God's handiwork. And we need to keep our eyes on God in all things. Otherwise, it's easy to miss the subtle and the providential ways that God is at work to save us in our situation. If you're joining us this morning but not a believer, if you don't have a gospel mentality, you don't see God in the midst of our circumstances, how are you feeling? What are you left with? Who are you left with? That is, without God, in our crisis, do you feel like you're panicking? Do you feel like you're hopeless? Without God, when we succeed, aren't we left with a false sense of confidence when we know that things can be lost at any moment? No, if you want real hope in times of adversity, real confidence, real security that will never fail you, in the words of Pharaoh, maybe the biggest unbeliever in the history of the world, go to Joseph, go to Jesus. He'll take care of your needs. And the gospel promises that Jesus will give you bread in order that you'll never hunger again. This is the good news for us this morning.